Hi there. Because of the uh, COVID pandemic, pandemic even, I've not spoken publicly for several years now. It's not something I've ever found easy, so please bear with me. I'm a bit nervous and I don't like being centre of attention. But, as always, God has promised that he'll help me do this, so I'm going to trust him to help me. We've been looking through the parables of Jesus, and we've learnt that most of the crowd who actually heard Jesus speak these parables went away with just a story. But there were some, mostly his disciples, who got a deeper meaning from these stories, which actually give us glimpses of what God's kingdom is like. People are often confused about the meaning of today's parable. I know I have been a bit, and hopefully I understand it a bit better after studying it, and I can convey some of these thoughts in a coherent way so that you'll understand it better. Today's parable is found in Matthew and in Luke, with slight variations of how it's told. For instance, Luke has got ten servants, whereas Matthew's only got three. But they are recognisably the same story, just with differing details. But for simplicity, I'm just going to concentrate on the Matthew version of it today, which has three servants. So, this is Matthew uh, Matthew 25. I'll start reading from that, from verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your bag of gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So, that I so when I returned, it, I would have received back, it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who's got ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have it in abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, as I said, Jesus told parables to explain a bit about God's kingdom, what it's like. Because I'm a shy, quiet guy naturally, and I don't like being here in front of all of you, I can very much sympathise with this last servant who hid the master's wealth to keep it safe. We live in a culture that cares uh, for those that are uh, fearful and even pampers to them to help nurture some courage from within. So the world that we come from will find the master in this story a very hard and cruel person. He takes the one bag of gold which was buried and gives it to a guy that's got a pile of money anyway. And then he throws the fearful servant out, who he calls wicked and lazy, out into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This isn't an image of God that we promote. Where is this master's compassion? But listen to what this scared servant says about his master. He said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your bag of gold. See, here is what belongs to you. How can we marry this image up with an image of an all-forgiving, compassionate God, the one that we usually believe in? This is an image of a hard, demanding, cruel God, one who doesn't seem to have any time for slackers. Is this the type of God that we want to believe in and follow just out of a sense of fear? It's not the type of God that I want to to follow anyway. Satan, in the Bible, is called Diablo, father of lies, deceiver. He's an arch-expert at half-truths and deception. God is the creator. Satan can't create anything new. The only thing that he can do is to change things. Satan can't create, he just does his very best to damage, distort, hurt and destroy anything that God has made. Satan hates you with a passion. He'll do his very hardest to kill anything good in you or limit you, limit what you do by fear. His favourite method to start with is by putting doubts in your mind. Doubts about the goodness of God. Think about the first words that we hear him uttering in the Bible to Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say to you that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now this was a half-truth. They could eat anything except for one tree. Eve knew that, but Satan had put doubt in her mind. The statement contains an element of truth, but ultimately it's a lie spoken with the purpose of putting doubt into the minds of mankind, that God would hold something good, hold back something good from us. Satan made us question God's goodness and his best intentions for us. He still does that. Satan tried a similar trick on Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. The first thing he says to Jesus is, if you are the son of God, Again, he's trying to sow doubt into Jesus' mind. 
against all the lies that Jesus, uh, that Satan threw at Jesus, Jesus had got Bible verses that spoke the, the truth to counteract the lies that the devil was throwing at him. We too need to really know our Bible to recognise what is true, especially to counteract the lies of the evil one. I, for one, quote Bible verses every day in attempts to get them in my mind and to counteract the troubles of life which we all have to face. Our postmodern culture is awash with lies and half-truths today. We're encouraged to believe what we want to. If I want to identify myself as a 10-foot pelican, then in today's world, you're supposed to, to pamper to this untruth, even if the facts before you are blatantly obvious, you just have to look at me for a moment to see that I'm not a 10-foot pelican. But the world says, just let me get on with it, it doesn't harm anyone. This is a weird world. We've got ex-presidents who didn't really lose the election, and we've got an outgoing Prime Minister who you don't know what he says because it changes with the wind. These leaders are not good examples to us. They say whatever they want to, you can't trust them, you can't believe them. But then the world teaches us, don't trust anyone, believe what you want. The world is becoming more and more confusing. Anyway, back to the parable. The lazy servant has got a bad image of his master and he's ruled by fear. His crime is just bearing what he had. But the master says, why didn't you put it in the bank where it would have gained interest? The master is not the hard taskmaster that the servant imagines. I'll explain a bit more. The other two servants did use what the master had trusted them with. They gained more. But they both got exactly the same verbal approval from their, from their master about faithfulness. One was recognised to having greater ability, but we don't really know whether he got more uh, responsibility. The parable doesn't say. There is hints in the Bible that, we, that if you're faithful with what you do on the earth, you'll be given more responsibility in heaven. But this, part, this uh, parable today is called the parable of the bags of gold. Traditionally, it's been called the parable of the talents. By using the word talent, which was actually a unit of money, we can get confused because then you start thinking about natural talent, natural ability. So, and it makes us think that this parable is talking about using the natural talent that you've been entrusted with and that you're rewarded for using your talent for God. This leads on to the idea that you earn your way into heaven. But of course, that is not true. You don't earn your place in heaven. Spending eternity with the Lord is dependent on whether you, lose, whether you use your faith we can never earn our place in heaven. Our place in heaven is dependent on faith, not on works. Believing the grace of Jesus, our faith 
is the only thing that determines whether you were saved or not. We can never do anything ourselves to earn our salvation. What you do with your natural talent will not gain your salvation. Here's some Bible verses. This is Hebrews 11.6. It says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Then a few verses before that, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, What is faith? It's the confident assurance of that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. Some people think that faith is just naive, wishful thinking. It can be, but that's not what true faith is. True faith is just choosing to believe that what God says is true, despite how things might appear at the moment. God has always got your best interests at heart and he can use any circumstance, however horrible, to mould you into a more Christ-like person. You just have to keep making the choice time and time again to trust him. Your doubts will never completely disappear. They just lose their power as you experience God's presence in your life to help you through it. You don't find faith through logic or reason. Faith comes through your spirit as you submit your life to God with the Holy Spirit inside you to guide and help. Faith is called faith because it believes rather than understands. That's some words from uh, I read yesterday from Selwyn Hughes. I'll read it again. Faith is called faith because it believes rather than understands. We are encouraged to pour out our hearts to God, questioning why. Why is this trouble come into my life? But don't stay there. Don't stay there with the why. Move on to the more important thing, which is what. What do you want me to learn from this situation, Lord? That's the more important prayer, not why, God. What do you want me to learn from this situation, Lord? Jesus prayed this. He said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do this way, to do it this way. We have to have childlike trust in God. The wicked, lazy servant didn't have faith. And his attitude towards his master showed that. That's why he's thrown out into the darkness, separated from God at the end. The only thing that can separate you from God is rejecting God's grace, lack of faith. The servant is not damned because he buried his abilities. God will not force himself on you. If you choose to separate yourself from God, then that is your choice, not God's will. God's will is that all mankind should be saved. The wicked servant is like the Pharisees who saw the miracles of Jesus, they heard his teaching, but they had closed minds which blocked them from seeing or hearing what, what God was speaking to them. They'd got set ideas about what God was like, like and Jesus didn't fit into that. 
So they rejected him. Let's look at the guys who did use their faith and ability. You must have noticed that the world is unfair. We don't get equal chances and some of us are dished up a pile of sick whereas others of us sit down to a banquet that we haven't even lifted a finger to prepare. It's not the, the world that God desires. There is enough in the world for everyone but man's greed has created an unfair world of excess and shortage. Let's face it, Britain is rich today because it found imperial power and then it went round the world bullying and exploiting weaker nations. It robbed them of their resources and it used their energy to build up wealth for ourselves, the comfort that we enjoy today. The unfair world is not the one that God created. This is a distortion of Satan that's been created by selfish humans. But some of us do have more ability than others. Some of us are clever, some of us not so bright. Some of us get the right nurturing, others get damaged early on. We're all different. God's made us that way. And he doesn't love any one of us more than he loves other people. God loves the uniqueness of each one of us, just how he made us. So you must not beat yourself up for not being like anyone else. All God wants from you is to be who you are and to flourish with how you are and who you are. Let me say that again to you. All God wants from you is to be who you are and to flourish with how you are and who you are. So what are you going to do with how God has made you? How are you going to use your faith? We've all got individual paths to travel and God will not condemn you for not being like someone else. All he wants is for you to use your natural talents for his service. It often isn't easy. It usually involves effort and faith. Anyone who's become successful will have had numerous failures before they've had a break. The key is to keep trying. One of the sayings in the Vineyard Church is faith is spelt R-I-S-K. I've never been comfortable with that. Uh, somebody who's often lacked self-confident. Risk is just something that spells D-A-N-G-E-R to me. I'm a detailed person. I overthink situations. Like writing my sermons, I'll, I'll write the, basic of the basis of the sermon and then I read it over and over again and add detail to it. That's just the way my mind works. I look at the reckless Peters of this world and I think that they must be nutters. They don't seem to be they don't seem to care about all the dangers that I notice. But then they achieve things that more cautious guys like me that don't just don't do. Some of you may remember a talk from the 2021 Vineyard Conference that was by a guy called Jordan Seng. He says that he spells faith as T-R-Y. 
Now, Jordan's church is one that celebrates people who try, even if they don't work. He says, just try. They encourage people to give it a go and not to worry about whether it's successful or not. Trying is the key thing, not the result. It may be just a play on words, but as a cautious type, I find this gentle approach more palatable. I can try things, and if it doesn't work, then hopefully I've learned how not to do it. And then I can try something else that will hopefully will work. The important thing is to try and not be paralysed by fear or failure. I must not get despondent with the prospect of failure, but try something different and keep trying something different until something does work. Perseverance will reap something eventually if I just keep trying. Me being up here as an example of me trying. Being a centre of attention is just, is just not something I would rather I'd choose. People who knew me as a painfully shy child would be shocked that I'm up here doing this. I started by giving short talks, ignoring the butterflies and fears of shyness, learning how to trust God to help me to do the best that I can. I still find it difficult and I can worry, but God's given me an ability to process information and then hopefully present it in a coherent way so that others can understand. Hopefully you can learn from what I say. Today I've not given in to fear, but I've trusted God to help me do what I believe that he wanted me to do. My faith muscles will get stronger as I use them, and then it becomes easier. I'm having to learn how to do it over again because of the gap. God nudges me up here, promises to be with me. I have to choose faith, obedience and dependence on God. And he blesses me for what I do to the best of my natural ability. The most fruitful tasks are done in the power and motivation of the Holy Spirit, but they must always be done in love. Here's some Bible verses. This is Galatians 5, 6. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And this is part of the 1 Corinthians 13 passage on love. Love never fails. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. It's another one. This is 1 John 4, verse 18. There's a bit... Uh, missing in the middle but it, this is the it says the same it says if we're afraid it shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us God uses my willingness as I try to use the best of my ability to hear from God and to pass on the message to you that God's put onto my heart I'm just trying to do something that I believe God wants me to do God uses my honesty, vulnerability and gentleness. All I have to be is Andy with the Holy Spirit's help and guidance. I pray for wisdom to say the right things in the right way and I pray that his love will be evident in what I'm saying and that your faith will be built up and encouraged by what I say today. God will bless what you try to do for him if you do it motivated in God's love. And it will usually be, be received in love. 
Just try. One of the talks from the latest Vineyard Conference was by Archie Coates. He's going to be taking over from Nicky Gumbel as lead pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton. He's, he's been leading a, church, a group of churches in the Brighton area. Um, and in his talk, he explained that when he first started uh, at Brighton, he got a phone call from the police asking him to come to his church. A female drug addict had taken an overdose and died on the steps of his church. Her funeral was held at their church and other addicts and homeless people came into the church for the funeral. Archie prayed about this sad situation, wondering what he could do to help them and God gave him the idea of opening up the church on a Saturday evening to give them some food and some shelter for a while. This worked well and so they had more meetings. And then the ladies came to him and said, could we have a time for just the ladies away from the men who control us on the streets? So they started having ladies evenings as well as the combined evenings. And then the men got jealous and they said, well, what about men's evenings? So this ministry has grown and grown. All Archie had faith for originally was to open the doors for one evening to give some people some food and some shelter. It's grown. Public speaking may not be something that you're called to, but you're not me and you've got your own journey to have. God would like you to try things for his kingdom. Ask God to guide you what you can do for him and ask for his Holy Spirit's help to enhance your natural abilities and talent so you can do it well motivated by his love marathon runners do not start running marathons straight away they have to practice and train so don't start trying to run marathons without any training you have to exercise your faith muscles on something small and give it a go faith is spelt t-r-y Seek God about what you could do for, for him, however small it is. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. I'll read that again. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. The world around you is watching to see how you behave, especially in the trials of life. Show them your faith, empowered by God's love. And they're much more likely to follow Jesus themselves. The world is turned off Jesus because the church doesn't live in lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. If they get a glimpse of God's love being expressing itself in your faith, then they're much more likely to get faith of their own. So give your faith a try. Faith is spelt T-R-Y. So, we've got some discussion questions, which should hopefully come up. There we go. So, the famous first one, as usual. What spoke to you most about this message? Then, do you ever doubt God's ability or willingness to help you through life? Another one, share stories of simple things that you've, where you've stepped out in faith. Even share some that didn't go right. 
And then, can you think of something that you could try to do for God, not fearing whether it's successful or not? And then last of all, the most important one, I think, pray for each other. You don't have to answer all these questions. I've given you several so that you're not lost for things to say. So have a go.